I'd like to show you so many verses, but we dare not. But I'll show you just one verse that you've got to see on reproofs. Proverbs 15. I believe it's what I'm looking for. Now, it's one of the good ones, but it's not the good one. I wish I, I wish I could go through and look at all these. But Proverbs 15.10 is a good one. It says, Correction is grievous unto him that forsaketh the way, and he that hateth reproof, what? Shall die. But the verse I want is at the bottom of the page on the left-hand side. It's on page 679, or chapter 29. This is the classic verse that I would end in speaking to teenagers. And there are so many illustrations of this in Scripture in the biographical sections, David's life, Saul's life. He that being often reproved and hardeneth his neck shall what? Suddenly be destroyed what? Without what? Any remedy. God says, listen, if you haven't been destroyed, there's still a chance. But if you keep doing your own thing, the axe will fall, and when it falls, there is going to be no way of undoing it. No way of undoing it, and you'll live with the consequences from now on. We better believe Scripture, and you better teach kids this stuff. They've got to know it. They don't believe it. They believe First John 1, 9. No one's perfect. If you confess it, God will forgive you. And that's not the issue at all. It's not an issue of forgiveness. It's the issue of what? Consequences of sin. And teenagers aren't that far what? Sighted. They're awfully nearsighted. They just don't look down the road far enough. Moses did, but he was 40 when he did. 16, 13, 14-year-old kids just don't. And you've got to show them this. And they'll believe it. I always teach this in a little different way in every high school I ever speak at, Christian high school. And we have kids coming by the droves for help after this message. Mr. Logan, I'm afraid. You don't know what I've been doing. I've had kids from Christian high schools come that are in perversion. Nobody knows. My folks don't know. But I'm deeply involved in perversion. How do I get out? I'm 15. Born again. I'm 14. Born again. Or I've been immoral with my boyfriend since I've been 13. What do I do? A lot of the kids here in school are doing this. I'm talking about Christian schools. I don't go to the public schools. They wouldn't have me. I'm talking about Christian schools. There's tremendous problems in Christian schools when they talk. And there's tremendous problems in Christian colleges. Don't let anybody ever kid you. That you send your kid to a Christian college and they're going to be immune from temptation. Man, let me tell you, Satan goes to the Christian colleges. He does. Walks up and down the halls looking for these kids. Well, a couple other things I want to share with you. Because God knows what? People can't handle a dating relationship. God never intended couples to be physical before marriage. You've got to teach kids how to, be, how to have a spiritual relationship, not a physical relationship. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, if you have a kid that says, well, I want a date, it's say, fine. When you memorize 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 1 through 12, and that you can explain it to me, verse by verse and word by word, then maybe I'll let you date. A kid ought never be allowed to date if they don't understand this passage. What kind of guidelines are they going to have in dating? Now, well, there's many other passages, but this is a principle that has to be applied to a non-biblical situation. Because you show me somebody had a date in the Bible. They didn't. I mean, some ate some, but they didn't have them. Furthermore, then we beseech your brethren and exhort you by the Lord Jesus Christ that as ye have received of this, how ye ought to walk and to please God. So ye would abound more and more. God says, you want to know how to abound more and more in your Christian life? I'll teach you in interpersonal relationships. For ye know what commandments we gave you by the Lord Jesus Christ. Now here comes that, here comes that scripture. For this is what? The will of God. No guessing. This is God's will. We know God's will here. Even your what? Sanctification. Our brother said what sanctification was. What sanctification? Set apart. For what? In context, for God. This has to do with being set apart. The set apart ones for God's use. The sanctification that ye should abstain from what? Fornication. What is the Greek word for fornication? Pornia. What is pornea? What's the word we get from it? English word? Pornography. You know what fornication here is used in its loosest sense? And you know what that means? Any sensual looseness. He's talking about here. Anything that comes under sensual looseness. God says what? It is God's will that you abstain from what? Any sexual looseness. Any. Period. And then he goes on and he gives more details in case you missed it. For every one of you should know how to possess his vessel in sanctification and honor. There's two interpretations of that, but in the context it has to be your own vessel, not your wife. Now there can be an application to your wife, but in the context he's talking about your own vessel, your own body. In sanctification and honor, not what? In the lust. And what is lust? Lust are the strong desires that are coming from the flesh. There is the lust of the spirit. Those are the strong desires that come from the spirit. And there's the lust of the flesh. And they what? They're contrary one to another. I have the spirit lusting. It's just, it, the lusting is it can be a good word in the sense of just strong desires. But these lusts are the wrong desires. Strong, wrong desires. He says, I want you to live your life not in the lust of concupiscence. What is concupiscence? Concupiscence is when my sensual drives are stronger than my spiritual drives. And that is evidence by the way I walk, the way I talk, the friendships I have, the music I listen to, the movies I watch, the TV programs I watch, will tell what my inner drive structure is. And if I'm building my inner drive structure around sensuality, it's going to be revealed in my dress, actions, and everything. If my inner drive structure is built around Jesus Christ, it's going to show. See, what's on the inside is what? It's going to be revealed outwardly. When you see some girl that's a flirt and looks like she's going to a bar, and I preached this at a Christian school because I was there in the daytime and I looked at these junior high girls and these girls looked like they were going to the bar after school. So at night, I preached it and the teachers came down and said, Logan, would you preach it against Brown night a little harder? She said, I can't believe the way these Christian parents are letting these, these, these 13 and 14 year old girls come to the school. It is, it is terrible the way these girls are painted up. And the way they're throwing themselves at these boys. Some of these girls are going to get caught and they're going to be sorry. 
These girls are sensual. I mean, these are young girls in Christian schools that are sensual. We have girls at Calvary that are sensual. And let me tell you, some of the boys will tell them, too. That's the wrong school for a sensual girl to go to. They'll say, Sister, what's wrong with you? Why are you dressing like that? Now, they'd be dressing within the code of the school. One girl, she walked. One fellow says, Oh, you know that girl? The one that has a sexy walk, Mr. Logan. So this girl with a sexy walk came in to me, see me one time. I said, Come on in, sexy walk. No, I didn't. <laughs> she came in and she sat down and she started crying. She said, Mr. Logan, none of the decent boys in school here will date me. And I said, I don't blame them. I said, just take a good look at you. I said, a quality fellow won't want to go out with you. And I know you're a nicer girl than what you look. I said, Mr. Logan, you know what I did when I was a girl? She said, I practiced the way I walked. I'd look at all these girls on TV that were supposed to getting all the fellas, and I'd get in front of a mirror, and I would look like them, act like them, and walk like them. And she says, now it's a part of me. I said, girl, unlearn it. And she unlearned it. And this girl washed her face. And she cleaned up. And she started looking like a Christian, and not like some floozy. And what really she wanted on the inside began to look like on the outside. But when she came to school, she wasn't that way. And you watch the kids. You compare them up. I would look at all the freshmen coming to school on the board, and I'd pick out all the kids with problems. I'd say, this kid's got a problem, this girl's got a problem, this one's got a problem. We're going to have a handful with these freshmen. Boy, these kids are messed up. And the freshmen would come, we'd look at them, and I'd say, okay, you watch who's going to date who. See that, see that loose girl over there? See this guy over here? You can tell he's got sensual problems. This girl does. Look at together. And you watch these sensual kids getting together. It's unbelievable. You can match them. And you'd stand there, and your heart would be broken, because those are the last kids that want to come in for counseling. It just breaks your heart. And then what really breaks your heart, you see a decent guy getting trapped by one of these girls. You know? But, you know, they don't get trapped very long, because I, I do a whole lesson on the sensual girl and what she looks like. We have a whole set of materials on that, what a sensual girl looks like. From Proverbs and the boys. Oh, brother. Because <laughs> God warns these guys, be careful, don't get involved with one. But what does she look like? It's very easy. You know what she looks like when you get through describing her in overhead? Like most of the girls in the magazine ads. Like most of those girls. What she looks like. Especially the Avon girls. Maybelline girls. Those kind of girls. She looks just like that. Gracie men. Her eye, her eyelids, all grouped up and all that stuff. Proverbs just describes that gal from her head to her toes. Guy can't miss it. But concupiscence is my inner drive structure. And he says, even as the Gentiles which know not God. He says, the Gentiles, that's their inner drive structure. They live in concupiscence. You don't want to live like concupiscence. You're a believer. Your life ought not be involved in sensuality. You know how to tell if your kid has sensual problems? Very easy. Listen to the music that he listens to. That'll tell you. Because music is an expression of a heart. If he's listening to disco music, he's got serious problems in sensuality. Because that's sensual music. And that's what expresses his heart. I don't care what he says. I don't care what you tell me. I know you watch. You watch. That kid's going to have serious problems. That girl's going to have serious problems. You better believe that. And if you don't control the music your kids listen to, forget it. They're going to have all kinds of moral problems. Because God says there's a certain kind of music that the spiritual Christian listens to. And there's a certain kind of music that the carnal Christian listens to. And if your kid is carnal, the devil's got him by the tail. He's had it in his junior high and high school years. 
And the two things we struggle with at Calvary is, guess what? Music and dating. Leave my woman and music alone, Mr. Logan. And those kids just don't make it. They drop out. And the kids that go on, you look at the, the, the junior class and the senior class. You know what's so awful about a Bible school? The seniors are so godly and then they leave. I said, why don't you kids hang around? I just get to where I really like you. <laughs> you guys go. You know? <laughs> hang around. You guys have really got something to offer. These kids are sharp. Love the Lord. Their Christ is radiating from their lives. And, you look at, and then you get a whole new batch of those freshmen again. And you're going, oh, I didn't know if I could take another year of this. These kids with all their rotten attitudes and rebellion and all this stuff, and they don't know which ends up, and they're not sure if they want to be spiritual or not, and they stumbled into a Bible school some way or another. Someone said it would be a good idea to go, and so they go. and Pray for the Bible schools. Let me tell you, it's really hard when you really care about the kids and you want them to be godly. It breaks your heart when you see the kids that don't want to be godly. And then he goes on and he says in verse 6 that no one, it ought not be a man, because you can just put the gender there, that no one go beyond and defraud his brother in, and it should be the matter, not any matter. And the word defrauding is an important word. The word defrauding is to stir up desires in someone that cannot be righteously satisfied. Okay, how is a fellow stirred up? How did God design a man to be stirred up sexually? By sight. How did God design a woman to be stirred up sexually? By talk and touch. And if any young person, if a girl dresses in a way... Now, some people say, Mr. Logan, I cannot believe that Calvary will not allow the students to go mix swimming. That school is going too far. If we had a mixed swimming party and a girl had on a bathing suit and that bathing suit caused one fellow to look at anything else but her countenance, we were wrong to have that activity in a Christian college. Girls are to dress modestly. Modesty is always in style. When a girl is properly dressed, the fellow's eyes will immediately go to her countenance. If it goes to anything else, that girl is not properly dressed. And many teenage girls don't know how to dress because their mothers don't teach them. And so if you have an activity and a fellow is stirred up at that activity because of the dress you allow the students to have, the fellow was defrauded. And girls say, fellows shouldn't have an evil mind. And I say, that's the way God created them, girl. And they can't help it any more than you can help a fellow that does the talk and the touch. It do the same thing to you. You don't do it. And if on a date or in an interpersonal relationship you defraud someone else, what does God do? He is the avenger of all such. I remember one time in our church, this uh, deacon got remarried. And his wife just couldn't understand why we didn't have swim parties at the church for the young married couples. I said, go ahead, but I'm not going to go. I said, I don't want to see your wife's navel. I'm sorry, I don't care to see your navel. I don't want to see your knees either, you know. You want to go? And, and the guys are saying, Mr. Logan, you really are, you know, after all, this is modern. This is, you know, 1976. And I said, they said, you know, all we want to do is go have fellowship. And I just said this, fellows, since when do Christians have to take off their clothes to have fellowship? You know, can't we have fellowship and keep our clothes on? 
I said, I just don't want to be a part of it. Sorry, I just, I don't have the freedom. You have the freedom to do that? I don't have the freedom to do that. You want to go do that? You go do it. But I'm not going to be there. Because I know that if I have, if I have or anybody there has a wrong idea, God will avenge that church activity. Now why avenge? Why have God, why even tempt or be in a position where God's hand of oppression can come on an activity? What's the purpose of it? Because God said, I will do it. And then kids are asking God to bless their dating relationship and he's holding their nose. God says, your relationship stinks. It makes me sick. Look what you're doing. How can you ask me to, why are you praying before you go on a date? I know what you guys are doing and what you're doing is wrong. Say, but we're not doing anything. Listen, I know what's going on inside of you. You guys are struggling. The things you're doing is stirring up desires in both of you that are wrong. And God said, I can't bless it. Can you see why so many kids are having struggles today? They're asking, they think they're dating under God's blessing. And what they're doing is bringing God's judgment. And then he goes on, he says, The Lord is the avenger of all such, as we also have forewarned you and testified, for God has not called us unto sexual looseness, but to what? Holiness. And he that therefore despises the call to spiritual dating despises not man, but God. And if your kids don't know how to spiritual date, then don't let them date. If your son does not know how to build into the spirit of a girl, he has no right ever taking her out. I told our daughter Cheryl, which the girl back there knows. You know Tom too, don't you? I wrote Tom. Tom, many of you have heard this. Bill Gothard uses Cheryl and Tom as an illustration in the seminar on dating. It's her oldest daughter and, and her boyfriend. That he challenges young people. They had no idea. It's a thrilling thing to them. When they were dating, they had no idea that God was going to use their dating life to challenge over a million people in the United States. They just went to Grand Rapids School of Bible and Music. There was a couple of kids that wanted to do God's best. Little did they ever know that year after year, young people would be challenged to date on the level that they dated on. But I wrote to Cheryl when Tom wrote me and asked permission to date. And I wrote back to Cheryl and I said, Cheryl, here's some things. If you go on one date with Tom and you come off that date, Cheryl, and you're not a better Christian, don't ever go out with him again. Because if you're not a better Christian, Cheryl, pretty soon you'll be a worse Christian. And that boy, we have all the materials, would send all his dating goals, his dating projects before every semester for me to check them out to see if I thought they were good enough for the following semester and the things he was building into her life. So we have all that big stack of letters like that in the file for their kids to read. Cheryl and Tom have a tremendous heritage to give to their little daughters. They don't say, don't do what we did. They say, kids, do what we did. You follow what mom and dad did. And we'll show you what we did in our dating relationship. And we, after we would teach spiritual dating at Calvary, you'd be amazed how many kids would break up. Girls, I'm not going with this guy. He's a dud. He may be a good basketball player, but he's not spiritual. Cheryl told Tom she wouldn't date him because all he did is pray before and after dating. She said, Tom, has got to be more to spiritual dating than that. I don't want to go with you anymore. That was after her second date with him. And she said, if you don't be a spiritual leader, Tom, I'll never date you again. And it's the only fellow she ever liked. And he wrote me and said, Mr. Logan, teach me how to design spiritual dates. I said, brother, I don't know. <laughs> I didn't tell him that. So I had all summer to pray. And we wrote back and forth on what a spiritual date would be like. And it was neat. 
And now you have kids all over the place that are demanding absolute excellence in dating, or they won't do it, especially at Calvary. Those girls are hard to please. Those guys have really got to crank it out. They're hard to get. Those girls are hard to get. They don't want to go with the Mickey Mouse guy. Because you know what they know? If they date a Mickey Mouse guy before they're married, he's just Mickey Mouse afterwards. Because he's at his best behavior before. And this is the best this guy can come up with. There's nothing. <laughs> Imagine what it's going to be like after you're married to him as a spiritual leader. It'll be worse than that. He's on his best behavior, girl. Is that his best? <laughs> I thought he'd get better after he got married. No way. It'd get worse. Isn't that right, ladies? You remember when he used to open the door for you? Now he knocks you down getting in? <laughs> you know, all things though, they get worse. But you're not careful here. Okay. Let's go to this one more passage. I have a lot of scriptures, but this one is important. And remember we said, and that is why people are tempted in other areas and you're not. He said, you know, I can't understand that. Why is it that some people are tempted in some areas and others in other areas and we have a tendency to be very critical of people that are not tempted in the areas that we are? Now, we can understand our temptation, but we sure can't understand theirs. And when you see this, when you see this, it will just open your eyes and it's something you've known all along but you've never saw it this way before. This has freed more students in our school to have permanent victory over the weaknesses in their life than anything else we've ever, ever taught them from the book of James. Okay, let's go back to James 4. We said we're going to go back to James 4 because this is a key chapter in temptation. <clears throat> Remember, if someone is being defeated over and over and over again, what is one of, that's the reproof of what problem you'd want to check for first. Say a lady comes to say, I'm just being defeated over and over and over again. What was the major thing that we said that causes defeat in just any area? Pride. Check out pride first. Because if there's pride in the life, there is not what? Grace, which is what? the strength and the power to please God. They just can't. They may want to, but they can't because God is withholding grace because of pride in their life. Verse 6, But he giveth more grace. Wherefore, he saith, God resists the proud, but gives grace, Philippians 2.13, the desire and the power to live a godly life unto those who what? Will humble themselves. Number 7, Submit yourself, therefore, to God. And all of the God-given authorities in your life. For he that resists the authorities in his, his life resists not the authorities, but resists who, the scripture says? God. And who are the first authorities in my life? Mom and Pop. That's the first ones. And the, you guys need to go through... Ephesians, and I know you're a children's worker, and you need to take out that word children in Ephesians 1. It's a very misleading term. Children, obey your parents. Well, I am now, you know, 11, and I am not a children anymore. Or I am 15, I am not a children. Or I am 25, I am not a children. You know what that word is better translated? Offspring. 
and you're always an offspring. Is there any time in my life when it's all right for me not to respect my parents? Never. You may not respect what they're doing, but you're to respect what? Their position. That's important. That is your father. It is the only father you will ever have. That is your mother. That is the only mother you ever have. You better honor the potential that's in your mother or something. You pray for your mother. You have an attitude that's right towards that mother. And God will deal with it. Don't you get bitter. Don't you shove away your mother because of what she's done. And there's a lot of kids that are bitter today because of their mom and dads. Split up homes and all this kind of stuff that's going on. But submit yourself, therefore, to God and all of the authorities that God brings into your life. Then you can resist the devil and he will flee from you. Draw nigh to God and he will draw nigh to you. Okay, the first thing we are we're to do is to submit. The second thing we're to do is to resist. Now, how is it that Satan is able to tempt me? Because if I don't understand how he tempts me, I can never do verse 8, the whole verse. And if I don't do verse 8, the whole verse, I will eventually fail. So Satan doesn't worry because he knows if you don't do the whole thing, that you will fail. Oh, you may not fail today, but you'll fail tomorrow. If you don't fail tomorrow, you'll fail the next day. Because he knows something. Because he read the Bible. He probably knows what we're like anyway, but he read the Bible. He read James chapter 1. And James chapter 1 tells us a tremendous truth. It says in verse 12 that a man will be blessed that endures temptations. That's a tremendous promise. God said, I'll bless you if you endure temptations. For when he is tried, he will see the crown of life which the Lord has promised to them that love him. Let no man say when he's tempted, I am tempted of God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, neither will God tempt any man. Well, then how is a man tempted? Very simply and very plainly stated in the next verse. Believe it. But every, there's one of those words again. You know, the all and every words that just we don't like. But every man is tempted. Every single person is tempted in here exactly the same way. But in different areas, exactly the same way. But every man is tempted when? He's what? Drawn away of his what? Own lust or his own Secret desires when he is in tights. How does Satan tempt you? He tempts you in your secret desires. And he knows as long as you are holding on those secret desires, he can tempt you. That's why if you struggle with money, he knows maybe you'll, you won't take anything out of the offering today. May won't take that money off her desk today, but there's tomorrow. Because you haven't dealt with what? The desires in your heart. And you know why we don't recognize Satan when he tempts us? Get this. Because he only 
tempts us to do what we secretly want to do anyway. And that is one of the greatest insights you'll ever get on temptation. And we don't recognize it's Satan, so we don't want resist them. And there is a beautiful illustration of this in the book of Acts. Turn to Acts. I don't know where, but it's in the first part of Acts. I don't read Acts very often. It's only one of those, it's my unfavorite book. I only read it once a year. Usually, I don't know what it is about Acts, but I never get excited about it. I still don't. Maybe I don't understand it. Acts 5. You say, oh, yeah, I know the story. Well, let's look at it again. Maybe you'll see a new insight. But a certain man named Ananias and Sapphira, his wife, sold a possession. Now, did they own it? Did they own it? Did they have a right to sell it? Did they have a right to do with it whatever they wanted to? Right. Okay, we got it that. And they kept back part of the price, which was okay. His wife also being party to it. And they brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. Now, I'm going to meet Ananias at the front door here. Peter's in here. I meet Ananias at the front door. I say, Ananias, you know what I just heard? He said, what? He said, an angel told me that you sold your townhouse. That's right. And the angel told me you're going to give a gift to the church. Yeah, I'm going to give all of it. That's not what the angel told me, Ananias. The angel told me you're going to give half of it and keep half of it back secretly. Ananias, where'd you ever get that idea? Oh, I don't know. I did, it just came to me, and I thought I'd do it. Look at the scripture here. Peter had discernment into the heart of Ananias. Peter said to Ananias, Why half what? Underline it. Satan what? Filled your heart. Where did the idea come from? Satan. Who put the idea in Ananias' head? Satan. Why didn't Ananias realize it was of Satan? Because it was based on what? What he secretly wanted to do anyway. And you can check this out through Scripture. Satan can fill your heart. It's not a sin to have a wrong thought. And I'm going to say this, and you're going to groan and moan and collapse, but think it through. Jesus had wrong thoughts. You say, oh, Mr. Logan, I knew it was coming. You heretic. Jesus had wrong thoughts. Say, how do you know? Did you ever read Luke 4 or Matthew 4? Satan came to Jesus and he said, Jesus, why don't you do this stuff? Now, did Satan tell Jesus to fulfill Scripture or did he tell him to violate Scripture? What did Satan tell Jesus to do? In a wrong way, didn't he? Was he tempted by Satan? Did Jesus hear what Satan said? Did he hear what he said? Well, then if he heard it, then he thought it, didn't he? It was registered up here. Wasn't it registered up here? Satan said to do this in his head. And what did Jesus say? It is written. Did Jesus sin? No. Because to be tempted is not a sin. You know what people think? Well, I thought I might as well do it. That is of the devil. Temptations are always fought up here. 
The greatest battle we have is between our ears. That's where you fat. When you sin, that's a sign of the lost battle up here. That's where Satan works, up here. Satan filled his heart to do it. Now let's go back to James 4. Last night we ran out of tape 20 minutes ago. The guy's sitting there listening to the easy music station. <laughs> Caught him. Good James 4. And it makes sense now on how we deal with temptations. He says, submit yourself therefore to God and resist the devil. Now, I, if I, if I, I've got to realize that when Satan tempts me, it, he's tempting me from where? From inside. That's why I'm being tempted is from the inside. Not from outside. I don't have to worry about the outside temptations. It's inside temptations. It's where he can get a hold of me. And all of us have hooks on our back that Satan knows about and knows where to grab a hold. That's why we're tempted differently. Because he knows that each one of us has different secret desires. And now he goes on and he says, You resist the devil and he'll flee from you forever. You just resist him once and that's it. Now, what will he do? He'll flee from you, but what will he, he'll come back. Did Satan come back to Jesus? Numbers of times. We just don't have it. It said, you know, that Satan left him what? For a while. And it said what? Jesus said, very, said a very precise thing. When Satan came, there was nothing what? Within me. He could lay his fingers on. He said that, didn't he? Do you remember that? It says it in John. When Satan comes, there was nothing within me he could lay his fingers on. But you and I cannot say that. There is so much in there that we had a garage sale to be plenty left over. That's right. Okay, let's look. After I am tempted, I am to what? Draw nigh to God and God will draw nigh to you. And many people stop there, but there are specific instructions that we're to do between the temptations. The first thing that I'm to do is to cleanse my hands, you sinners. What does that have to do? I am to deal with what? The sins that I've committed. So I've got to clean my hands of what I've done. And then what's the second thing? Purify what? My motives. Be double-minded. What's double-minded? A desire to please God and a desire to secretly enjoy sin. And you know what we need to do when we're tempted? Pray and ask God, after the temptation, to reveal what was it in my heart that Satan could put his fingers on. And what am I supposed to do with it? Confess it. I'm to purify my heart. And if you don't do it, you're going to find what? That a double-minded man is unstable in all of his undertaking. Because you cannot what? Please God and please the flesh. Isn't that tremendous? And when that young man was tempted, he knew what? That was back, what was back in his heart as he walked by that car with a coat in it? He said, Mr. Logan, I realize Satan was tempting me because I had a wrong value system. And he said, God, take it out of my heart. And he walked away. And he used some scripture that I'd given to memorize. And he walked away from it. And I, I, I can't say that, that it won't come back in your heart again. 
But I can tell you this. You're only tempted by the things in your heart that are wrong. James thinks they're very, very clear. Every man is tempted when he's drawn away of his own inner secret lust. And that's why we've got to clean up the inside and allow God to do his work. Because if we don't, we're going to fail. Because if you just resist temptation and you don't clean up your heart, what does Satan know? You'll fall tomorrow. You'll fall eventually. Do you know that you and I are not to resist temptation? Do you know why we're never told to resist temptation? Because we can't. But we can resist what? The tempter. You focus on the temptation, and if it's a genuine temptation, you can't handle it. Ever gone on a diet? I just got off of one. You know what I didn't hang out at? The Dairy Queen. You know why? I couldn't handle the temptation. That's why. I couldn't hang out there. And I didn't think about banana splits. I won't eat a banana split today. I won't eat a banana split today. I wouldn't make it. <laughs> After a while, I'd be down the tubes. You know, you got to resist the tempter. I don't like whipped cream anyway, Satan. <laughs> Let me show you one quick chart. You say, Logan, nothing you do is quick. <laughs> but it may be worth looking at if I can find it. I wasn't going to share it with you, but I think it really helps if I can find it in here. Here it is. Don't give up. Just a, it's, so, it's, it's a simplistic chart and how to resist temptation. Very simplistic. Very excellent. I wish, I wish I think of all these good charts that these people do. I just borrow them. I'm an exhorter. You probably figured that out by now. And exhorters usually aren't too original. They just borrow lots. Here's a guy. This is an illustration of 2 Corinthians 10, 4 and 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God. The pulling down of what? Strongholds. What are the strongholds that God wants me to cast down? What are they? What? Imaginations. Secret desires. And thoughts. And everything that exalts itself against what? The knowledge of God and to bring every thought into captivity under the obedience of Jesus Christ. Do you know a thought in your mind that's not under God's control is a sin? You're commanded. Do you know that imaginations is always used wrong in Scripture? It's never used in the right way. You're never told to have imaginations. God looked down from Genesis and said, the imaginations of man's heart was what? Evil continually. And you start there and you go through the scriptures and imaginations is never used right. Daydreaming is the worst thing a kid can do. Because an idle mind is what? The devil's playground. 
and all these thoughts. Now, to have a creative mind is great, but to have a mind where your thoughts are going every which way is wrong. Here is a man that has a wrong thought, or a woman. This thought does not conform with God's standard. What should he do? The temptation is to say, I'll never think that again. I don't want to think that thought. Oh, what a terrible thought. How could I ever think such a thought as that? I don't want to think about it. What happens when you decide you don't want to think about it? You won't even sleep. All you think about is what you're not going to think about. I'm not going to think about that. Oh, I don't want to think about that. Woo! You know, you ever get bitter at somebody? Oh, that dirty rat? I don't even think about it. You know what they do? You lay in your bed all night long, and he robs you of your sleep and everything else. You know, the real temptation is not sharing our thoughts with God. You say, oh, God, you don't want to know this one. God says, listen, I know it already. There's not a thought that you have that isn't echoed in heaven. I already know about it. Oh, God, you don't want to know my thoughts. You know, it's like taking the lid off the garbage can. God says, don't worry about it. I, I know it already. You just share it with me. And we don't want to share it with God. We're too proud. God says, you share. See, when all these trials come into your life, don't resent it, Scripture says, but welcome it as an opportunity to grow in your Christian life. And then allow God to expose those thoughts to Scriptures that deal with those thoughts. And that's why you need to find out what are your secret desires? What are the secret struggles in your life? And then give the Holy Spirit of God the only weapon it has against the enemy, which is what? The specific Word of God. Jesus didn't, when Satan came to Jesus, he didn't say, well, in Genesis 1.1, in the beginning God created. Or, now I lay me down to sleep. He quoted what? Specific scriptures that dealt with what? The specific temptation. He didn't quote just any scripture. That's why you've got to sit down with your kids. My son Richard has a list of scriptures right now that he's memorizing as the weapon for Satan to use because he has certain weaknesses in his life that he needs to be able to draw from that when he's tempted in those areas. Boy, if I don't arm my son, he's going to be wiped out by the enemy. He's got to be armed with scriptures. That's why you want to be very careful when you do the Child Evangelist magazine, you don't go back 40 years ago. It's children today, not yesterday. And you better be sure you're giving the kids the weapons they need for today, not 40 years ago. It's a whole new themes of sin today. Sin's no different. It's just new themes of sin. And be sure that the magazine is relevant. And I cannot comply. I've only grabbed one. I haven't looked at issues for years. Because most of your stories didn't work at Calvary. You know, it just didn't fit there. So I didn't need it. So I didn't get it. So I don't know if you're up to date or not. But be sure you are up to date. You know, when we fight the Russians, you don't want World War I guns. Right? They've got all kinds of new types of things. And you need new things, you know, new scriptures. And be sure you understand. You didn't deal with perversion with little kids. Did you? No, you didn't need to, but you do today. All kinds of things. You know, kids didn't watch pornography at home on the radio, on TV. Ten years ago, we were in here the other night. Two programs, what did it say before? I haven't seen television for ten years. You know what it said? Or twelve years. You know what it said? This program is for mature adults. You know what that means? It means they're violating Romans 16 17. But it says, if it's not fit for the kids, it ain't fit for the parents. 
That's kind of a Logan translation of that, but that's what it says. <laughs> that's what it says. It says, when it comes to evil, my brethren, I want you like little children. So that means that that program isn't fit for me. It isn't fit for my kids. It isn't fit for their father. And, you know, parents go out and their kids are watching all kinds of specific, gross pornography in their living rooms at night where their folks are out places. They're just turning it on. Expose each thought to God's Word, claim the specific principle and promise of God's Word, and express your response to each wrong thought with that specific scripture and knock it out so that you're filling your mind with what? Nothing? The Word of God. And then you could say, I am glad that I've been through temptations and testing because I have what? Grown in my knowledge and use of the Word of God. And let me tell you, when Satan sees you, if those thoughts are coming from Satan, and every time he tempts you, you're just a little closer to God, you know what? He's going to lay off. The last thing he wants is you to be closer to the Lord. Now, if he can't wipe you out, he's sure not going to do anything to strengthen your faith. And just pull back for a while and then wait and watch it. Then he'll pull one of those sneaky Ananiases on you. And you won't recognize it's him. And then you find yourself flopping right on your face and you say, how did I fail? Oh, yeah. I didn't deal with that secret desire and Satan got me again. And God said, that's okay. Now you pull away, you ask forgiveness and you search your heart. You find out what was it in your heart that Satan got his handle on. You confess that. Ask me to take it out and I'll go on. Isn't that super? And you know what we've been telling people to do? To resist temptation but to never what? Deal with what, they, what was in their hearts that Satan got a hold of. And so they're being defeated what? over and over and over with the very same thing. And we've got to tell them to deal with it. They need to see it. It's in the Bible. We just didn't believe it. You know, we read it, but we didn't believe it. And we've got to believe it. Father, we're just thankful tonight. There is so much, Lord, we didn't do. So many portions of Scripture that deal with being pure and having victory over temptation and over thoughts and sensuality and so much we skipped. But Lord, we pray what we did cover tonight might give us a tremendous amount of ammunition to give to these young children to prepare them for the tremendous pressures that Satan will bring upon them in their early teen years. And Father, we know there are Christian young people that have been involved in some of the grossest immorality before they've gotten out of junior high school. And then they struggle in high school with all kinds of desires that are wrong. Father, may we equip ourselves and the little ones for the battle. Amen. With a car. And I thought I made it clear, but he thought maybe I didn't. The young man had done a study on all the verses in the Bible that he could find that dealt with stealing. Then, when he was in the parking lot and he got the thought to steal, for the first time in his life, when he was tempted to steal, he realized it was of Satan. Instead of trying to resist the temptation, he had to resist the tempter. And it was the first time he did it. 
And so he resisted Satan with the word and with the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he said, in the name and in the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, I resist you, Satan, for it is written, Thou shalt not steal. And he walked away free from that particular temptation. And then he said, Lord, deal with my heart because it's there again. And you take it out. And let me tell you, it's a whole different ball game when you start dealing with the tempter instead of temptation. And I can't tell you, we had a special class at Calvary on Monday mornings before school looking at all the different types of temptations and the best verses that we knew of to deal with them. And we had a room like this full of kids skipping breakfast, many of them, writing scriptures and sharing. You don't know how desperately Bible school students want victory. When they come, I mean, you know, another religious meeting in a Bible school is like another religious meeting around here. <laughs> it gets old after a while. I don't care. These chapels get old. They do. No matter how spiritual our chapels get old. Chapel every day after a while, it gets old. I don't care how good it is. It has to be super good, you know, to get your attention after five or six years of a chapel every day. But these kids came because they wanted victory. And so you've got to get the specific scripture. And that's the word. And you get that when you're having the victory in your life. Okay. I wanted to share that because I wanted to be... Oh, and one other thing. That's this. Sarah would not have done evil. Some of you missed that. Shame on you ladies for drowsing when I was saying that. Sarah would not have been godly if she'd have done evil. God never tells a woman to submit to evil. She has to do as Daniel. Daniel in chapter 1 did what? Came up with a creative alternative to doing and violating his conscience. And what did Pharaoh's, uh, the king say? That's okay. You can eat stew. Or whatever it was. You can have that instead. But then they said, Daniel, you can't pray. And Daniel said, okay, I won't pray. You know, if the government says I can't pray, I won't pray. No, he didn't. He said what? I'll pray. And he didn't read the last chapter. Because Daniel, I don't know if he has much faith as the king. You know, I think Daniel thought before he hit the bottom, he was going to, you know, probably end up in somebody's stomach. But he didn't pray. I mean, he did pray. Why? Because the government was asking him what? To submit when he had to submit to God. And I want you to know that, ladies, you never, never violate your conscience because your husband tells you to. Now, you want to be sure it's conscience and not preference. Yeah, You've got to be sure it's really a moral issue. If your husband says, let's go to the you know, X-rated movie theater, you don't have to go. You say, well, a biblical wife goes. She does not. The biblical wife says, honey, I want to submit to your authority. I want to respond to you. I want to love you. And I know if I go see that movie, it's going to cause me to have all kinds of problems. And I won't be able to respond to you like you want me to, so would you not allow me to go? he says, you've got to go. Then you can say, honey, I'm sorry, but I won't go. I can't go. And so you've got to realize that, lady. You got that? I would never teach that a wife has to submit to sin. Never. Or a teenager or anyone. God doesn't call him to do that. That's right, right? 